Welcome to This Week in the Warner Archive Collection, where we discuss our newest releases. I'm George Feltenstein, and I'm proud to be joined by my colleagues, Matt Patterson and D.W. Ferranti. Fifteen new additions to the Warner Archive Collection highlight this Warner Archive podcast. Most importantly, what's new to Blue is the most exciting thing that we can share with you. And today we have three new Blu-rays for the month of March that are particularly varied in their content, but they share one thing in common. They're all terrific movies. The first of them is from 1936. It is a Samuel Goldwyn production, Dodsworth, starring Walter Houston and Ruth Chatterton. And it is directed by William Wyler. This is a first time on Blu-ray restoration courtesy of the Film Foundation, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, and funding from the George Lucas Family Foundation. So those organizations bound together to oversee this superb 4K restoration that we are now bringing to Blu-ray. And uh, the film is also going to be available on DVD for the first time in many years and for the first time ever looking good because the old DVD looked terrible and it didn't come from us. So we can take no responsibility for that. But very, very exciting news about Dodsworth. Now we move again ahead about 20 years to 1954, and we have a film that has never been on DVD and is making its Blu-ray debut in a 4K scan from the original camera negative. It's Bo Brummel with Elizabeth Taylor and Stuart Granger. And Peter Ustinov. Can't forget Peter Ustinov. This is a 1954 MGM British Studios costume epic, and it looks fantastic in this new presentation. And then we move ahead 15 years to the end of the 1960s as Gregory Peck and Eva Marie Saint star in Robert Mulligan's Western The Stalking Moon. Those are our new-to-Blu-ray releases. And then new-to-DVD, we have documentary from our friends at HBO, What's My Name, Muhammad Ali, and we'll have a lot to say about that. And then we have films that are back in print on Blu-ray and DVD, which we'll be talking about a little bit later. Back in print on Blu-ray is Tom and Jerry, The Golden Collection, Volume 1, and back in print on DVD are Batan from 1943, The Bad and the Beautiful from 1952, Trouble Along the Way from 1953, The Left-Handed Gun from 1958, Ride the High Country from 1962, The Incredible Mr. Limpet from 1964, I Wish I Was a Fish, Up the Sandbox from 1972, The Gauntlet from 1977, International Velvet from 1978, and The Formula from 1980. So we have a lot to discuss, but how wonderful to start off with a bonafide classic that's been missing in action for far too long, this new Blu-ray presentation of Dodsworth. Thanks to uh, a combination of the source material being Sinclair Lewis's novel and William Wyler's direction as well as the fine actors in this film, in another person's hands this would be a melodrama. I call this like a, a perfect tale of middle age regret. Why well, you've overly anticipated where I'm going. And oh, what, sorry, because yes. I, I got so excited because so, this is one of my so, favorite so this, genres. This is a film about middle age regret and midlife crisis before the term midlife crisis yeah. was coined. What's also interesting, even though these three films are all very different, they actually share that theme. 
because yeah. Gregory Peck's character in Stalking Moon, yep. and then of course Stuart Granger's character Bo Brummel are both the apex of the movie is them evaluating their lives and thinking about wrong turns and regrets. Now, getting back to Dodsworth, Walter Houston is of course fantastic, but it's really there's a kind of an extraordinary cast. There's little walk-ons from actors of great talent like, like David Niven and Mary Paul Astor. Lucas and Mary Astor, who's yep. playing a good girl this time. Ruth Chatterton is really good. This film is very wise in its understanding of humanity. We begin with the end of a corporate magnet's life, in quotes, as he sells his motor company to a bigger motor company, and his wife is encouraging him to finally enjoy life. But she herself is suffering from middle-aged regret, and this long-dreamt-of trip to Europe ends up unraveling and re-raveling both of them. William Wyler is really, I would say, one of my favorite directors because there are very few films of his that I don't love. And this is really something that is representing his early career, the earlier part of his career, and uh, is just stunning directorially. In other hands, this material would have been more like a soap opera. Yeah. I think you were saying something very yeah. similar. Just no, there's also just like the, the, the extraordinary things about Wyler is his camera work and his framing is extraordinary, but it's not distracting. When you consider the source material, first of all, it was a very long novel adapted to a play in kind of a, a cinematic way, focusing on the relationship, and then taking that from the stage to here with Weiler's hand, because Sinclair Lewis was involved in the adaptation to the play, and then the playwright was involved with adapting it to screen. It's almost like they kept the essential core of what works, and... For me, I knew that this film had a great reputation, but when you sort of hear kind of what it's about, my expectations were not that high. Sounds like it would be boring, but instead it's enthralling. It's oh, amazing. No. It's captivating. Yeah. yeah, and because of its kind of lack of availability, this is, for me, was a wonderful discovery. I mean, I had taken a uh, film school seminar on the films of William Wyler, and we, we didn't see this movie. And I'm like, this was a, a fantastic example. And I guess maybe because it was early, it was more, I, I don't know. But this is a, just a wonderful example of how an adult drama works and continues to work, you know, almost 100 years later because its, uh, its themes are timeless. It, I mean, you know, there's, there's things we don't have, like the state rooms and the Art Deco. Yeah. But the emotional content of this film yes. plays perfectly for today. And yes. I think we also have to talk about, and we've talked about this before, Samuel Goldwyn, as an independent producer, had the benefit of not having to fill a theater 52 weeks of the year like the studios had. He was an independent producer when there weren't very many, and he released uh, initially through United Artists and then later through RKO. When he made a picture, generally what he selected turned out to be exceptionally good. Now, there were certainly some titles along the way that didn't make that quantum leap into being a bonafide classic. 
But Dodsworth is one of the best pictures that he ever produced. And he had the ability to work with fine people like Weiler, who he had under contract. And then he would loan Weiler out on occasion. He was loaned out to Warner Brothers for Jezebel right. and for the letter. But Goldwyn knew he had gold, no pun intended, <laughs> in Weiler. And this film is a great representation of this. Now, to give you some background of why this hasn't been available on DVD for probably a decade. When we got within Warner Brothers Home Entertainment, we got the domestic home entertainment rights to the Goldwyn Family Trust Library. We were provided access to their masters and their materials. And when we looked at what they had on Dodsworth, which had been released on DVD before by another company, we said, we can't release this. It was so beat up. It was so filled with missing emulsion and scratches, splices, and just it was a disaster area. And I really didn't know how they were going to approach a restoration. So we have to be very thankful that the folks at the Academy teamed with the Film Foundation with funding from the George Lucas Family Foundation to create this new restored master Original negative is long gone. They had to work with second and third generation elements to come up with this. And they've done a really fine job. And I remember how awful it looked and how much better it looks now. And it also has a restored audio track. It sounds terrific. It's a joy whenever we can bring a classic from the 30s to Blu-ray. And there will be more. And uh, Dodsworth is the one that we're celebrating this month. And uh, we're very proud to bring it to you. Moving over to MGM in the 1950s, we can't go to Culver City. We have to go to MGM. British studios Ooh. in 1954 where Elizabeth Taylor was in residence. I've talked about this before, but there were a lot of American stars that went to England to make movies because there was an income tax break that you could get if you worked in England. I don't really know the details of it, but Lana Turner went, Clark Gable went, Elizabeth Taylor went, Gene Kelly went, and made movies at the MGM British Studio and were able to avoid income tax. They weren't doing anything wrong, and it resulted in some really wonderful movies from all of them. But Elizabeth Taylor particularly had some good fortune in the films that she made at the British Studio, and Bo Brummel was really one of the finer costume epics from that. That era. And interestingly, this is at the very, very beginning of Cinemascope, but the studio decided to film this in widescreen, meaning a 1.75 aspect ratio, which was MGM's house aspect ratio for non-Cinemascope movies. They decided that this was more of an intimate drama than Knights of the Round Table, which was actually their first Cinemascope movie and had been made before this. And Elizabeth Taylor was, I guess she turned 22 after the movie was completed or during the shooting. I mean, she was so young and already was such a huge star. And she was into marriage number two by this point. And Bo Brummel already had been made into a movie by Warner Brothers 30 years earlier. We have a 1924 version of Bo Brummel available on DVD from Warner Archive. Uh, and that starred John Barry. 
Barrymore. These are very, very different tales. There was a real nobleman. He was a historic figure of great note. Right. The dandy of dandies. And to the point where, to this day, we yeah. use the expression Beau Brummel to signify taste and class and maybe a little bit of fop. And, and I would say probably people don't use the expression anymore the well, that, way they used to. That's how I describe Dan. You can't see <laughs> it's the, ascot. the podcast. In real life, Bo Brummel was a someone that was known for both his fashion sense and his wit. He was a good friend of George IV, although George IV was much older. Bo Brummel sort of made his way through the ranks and then resigned. It had a sort of a rags to riches to rags true yes, life story. A true they, life story. They, they use that as a springboard for this more historically inaccurate but dramatically compelling <laughs> take. Yeah, the very first scene is so, like, defines the character so poignantly. And is actually a true story. And, yeah, because, well, and it, it feels true. As is the insult at what was in real life a masquerade party. But I get ahead of myself. Uh, yeah, sorry. What is really interesting about this film for me is that Elizabeth Taylor, and this is a Regency-era costume epic, so everybody's dressed to the nines. And Elizabeth Taylor is, of course, one of the most beautiful things to ever be seen on the screen. But the love story between Elizabeth Taylor's character and Stuart Granger is mostly eclipsed by the bromance between Stuart Granger and <laughs> Peter Ustinov. Now, I give that credit to Peter Ustinov because he's always engaging. And Robert Morley, who plays George III, is also really good playing Mad King George. And yeah. the thing is that this film has an interesting history with the Warner Archive collection because originally it was supposed to be one of the 150 movies we would release release as a DVD-R when we launched our manufacturing on-demand business in March of 2009. However, the master we had was so poor, and it was also the wrong aspect ratio. Uh -oh. It was open mat, and it was not 175, and we have rules about that sort of thing. So between the terrible quality, because it actually came from a fourth-generation element, and the wrong aspect ratio, Bo Brummel got nixed, and we had to replace it with something else. So it's been a long time coming, and that's why there was no DVD, and that's why if you've seen it on TCM over the last many years, it's been in the wrong aspect ratio and looked awful. That has now been rectified with this brand new 4K scan off the camera negative, which reflects Eastman color stock before it went south. So the colors are very, very lavish. And yet you also see the influence of outdoor filming in Britain, mm -hmm. right. which is notable in the fact that it's the same reason why they didn't film Brigadoon in Scotland, because it always rains. The cloudy skies gave a diffused look to the whole production yeah. that makes it very distinctive and different from a film that was shot in America. But I think it is really a compelling story, even if it is more fiction than fact. Mm -hmm. And if you choose to traverse the internet and look up the real story of Bo Brummel, you'll see what I mean by fiction and fact. But either way, it makes for great entertainment. The picture was quite successful when it was released and was a favorite in television distribution for many years. And finally, we now have a beautiful master that we can make available on Blu-ray and there will 
will be a DVD in the offing later on so that fans of any format can enjoy Bo Brummel. So we highly recommend it. You can't go wrong with Elizabeth Taylor at the height of her early startup. It's almost worth buying a Blu-ray player for Yeah, Just to get those violet eyes. That's right. Our next film comes from National General Pictures. In 1969, they released a very different kind of Western, which is very representative of the changes that were going on in Hollywood at the time. Gregory Peck and Eva Marie St. co-star in The Stalking Moon. And this is directed by Robert Mulligan, a director responsible for so many magnificent movies like To Kill a Mockingbird. Really one of the great directors of his time. And this was a decidedly different kind of film for him. But this is a film that also has a very substantial cult following. We did release it on DVD through Warner Home Video many years ago. It didn't look very good, and it needed a lot of work. So this brand new 2020 1080p master, which we've scanned from an interpositive, looks spectacularly good, crisp and clear. And Gregory Peck and Eva Marie Saint really carry the picture. They give great, very modern performances. I mean, this film's as much a thriller Yes. As it is a Western. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but speaking of carrying the film, this is a very early screen appearance by Robert Forster, who is has sadly left us in the past year, but he's terrific in this as well. He'll be back in next month's Warner Archive podcast All in right. another film that More we'll be talking Forster. about. Can't More Forster, can't go wrong. Follow. Gregory Peck plays a army scout who uh, is looking to retire, and on one of his final missions, they uh, round up a bunch of renegades, and amongst their number is a white woman, Eva Marie Saint, who has a half-breed son. And And she had been captured when she was very very young. young. She was fully acculturated uh, as a Native American. Gregory Peck agrees to escort her to civilization, and along the way they realize they're being stalked by her Apache husband, father of her child, who is um, a ghost in terms of you can't see him until he's killing you. Yeah, he's a a master assassin. And and there's a great sort of pace to this as, as they depart a place and go somewhere else, behind them, unbeknownst to them, he's showing up and killing everyone. And eventually... We're stuck at his at Gregory Peck's ranch. One of the uh, wonderful things about this film that you kind of notice right away is, unlike other westerns, in that you'll have these wonderful scenes out in the wilderness, and then it gets incredibly claustrophobic, mm-hmm. which reminded me also of like. Hateful Eight. I had the same yeah. thought. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like when when they go to right. the stage. The, uh, the big open outdoor scenes yeah. and then the claustrophobia of the cabin and the lighting. And the, yeah. and the cabin and especially like. Quentin, when, feel free to write us about this. No, oh, I'm, I'm sure he yeah. was influenced yeah, yeah. by sure, this sure. film because yeah. especially the, the stagecoach station scene. Right. And the aftermath of this fight and then they're out in the wilderness and then there, there's a sulfur flat and the storm, and then back in to a wonderful uh, siege in a cabin, which, of course, is more reminiscent of horror films, right? right. Like Cabin or, in the Woods. Wait until dark. Yeah, like all these things are in here, and then there is on top of it a turn, you know, right around the 1970 cultural shift that you get a new 
uh, more nuanced version of relationship between the expansion in the American West and the Native and Americans. Yes, exactly. The portrayal of racial tension well, also, is yeah. dealt with in something that is representative of the time. Right, yeah. and, and, and yeah, I've read some uh, reviews at the time that accused the film of being subtly racist, but actually if you... No, it's read the, the opposite. Yeah, if you read the text correctly, the film hits these things, including the oh. Robert Forster character, who the Gregory Peck character raised, who then gives Gregory Peck's character a hard time for pulling the half-breed Indian son out of his culture. Yeah, no. And I, it's all it's all talked about. Like, this this habit of civilizing people was wrong. It did rem- also make me think about our favorite series, Longmire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and the whole issue of the culture between the res and the... You know, the and, outsiders. And then you have this, while these issues are up in the air, you have this climax, which, which is quite extended, which is a hunt and a chase uh, at a tactical yeah. level, which is nerve-wracking. And that is the thriller part, and that is also what sets this apart. There were an abundance of Western films, mostly low-budget, in the late 60s being made both here in the U.S. as well as the spaghetti westerns being made right. in Spain and Italy overseas that were being imported here uh, of varying degrees of quality and excellence. There were some that were excellent. There were some that were tripe. But the thing is, there were a lot of westerns, but a thinking man Western, that was a very different kind of proposition. A thriller slash Western, very, very different. And I think that's Mulligan's touch. That's what kind of separated this film out, and that's why it's had a cult following for quite a long time. Yeah. And I, I think you're right, Matt. I think that Mr. Tarantino probably had some influence from this film when he was doing Hateful Eight because I had the same exact thought. It, it's just, I mean, it, it really hits you when you're watching it. Yeah. And again, watching it on the Blu-ray, the color and the set, it's more impactful and absorbing, so it feels like, you know, and I saw Hateful Eight in the theater on 70 millimeter, I believe I went, I went to go see it. So it just it gave me that similar feeling. Well, it looks great on Blu-ray, and we're happy that it's another film that we can chalk off with remastering and bring to the fans. That's what we're here to do. Stalking Moon, go to your computer now, order a copy. You will not be disappointed. Next, new to DVD, we have a documentary about probably the most important fighter, boxer of the latter part of the 20th century? I would go a step further and say the most important athlete of the latter part of the 20th century. Okay. American athlete. There you go. I mean, because my God. Because Paley's yeah. in that mix, yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. we've been dealing with some big... I'm like, ooh, but, that's but hard. But I mean, like, he traversed so many different things, and it's called What's My Name, Muhammad Ali. This was made by HBO last year, and HBO's documentaries for years have been the gold standard, in my opinion. And this was directed by uh, Antoine Fuqua, who is probably still most famous for being the director of gritty films like Training Day. But What's My Name, Muhammad Ali, the film's title is very sort of central to the film's theme, and it was, for me, watching this was fascinating. The film is structured very much through his life with a a central social cultural theme running through it, but it's also assembled through archival footage and interview. So this is you spending time with Muhammad Ali in his own words, telling his own story. As it develops. As it develops. We start off with him in Louisville and we 
get through the fight of the century. And as someone and watching this film really made this clear, someone that was aware of the story of Muhammad Ali, but really growing up, he was always Muhammad Ali. He was right. never Cassius Clay. But what the film highlights is the extreme, and I'm just going to use the word obnoxious, cultural resistance he faced when he was finding his own identity, especially among other boxers in the news media that constantly are referring to him as Cassius Clay or they have Muhammad Ali and they put Cassius Clay in quotes in headlines three, four, five years into him changing his name because the culture just didn't want to accept who he had become. They didn't know how to process it. They didn't yeah. have a filter and it was he helped educate the world, yeah. really. You know, my father was a huge fan of Muhammad Ali and you know, I would get woken up at the, when I was six, seven years old to watch these fights, and he would right. tell me what to look for. But my dad definitely grew up, well, he shouldn't grow up, as an adult, was a fan of Cassius Clay and then a fan of Muhammad Ali. And never once in my house was the words Cassius Clay ever, ever, ever used. It was always Muhammad Ali. And it was yeah. always like, watch his hands, watch his arms, watch how fast he is, watch how smart he is. You, you hit on something that a lot of people don't know about him is that he was so intelligent. You can see in the interview footage of him in this documentary just how bright a man he mm -hmm. was. He was a phenomenal athlete, a phenomenal symbol for social change, and he also was so beloved by so many millions of people and to be struck down with ailments yeah. that led to his premature death and long-suffering illness. But the dignity, you know, I'll never forget when he showed up at the Olympics. At the Olympics, lighting oh, the torch. Yeah. I was going to say that, too. Yeah. I mean, that, you know, and the documentary deals with all of that. It's just really remarkable. He did star in his own autobiographical right. film, The Greatest, which... Yeah. It's not. It's not. <laughs> and I think that was probably, you know, not unlike... Viva Knievel. Yeah. It was probably a wrong move. But... But not the, for Gene Kelly. But not for the song that came out of it. <laughs> right. Oh. Because The Greatest Love of All actually became a big hit much later. But it was written for that movie. A lot of people don't think that. But in any event, this documentary is not new material. Lots of people have done documentaries about Muhammad Ali before, during his lifetime and after. This is a new perspective, which mm. is tough to do, especially after the narrative film that was made, which was really, really good. Mm -hmm. The art of documentary documentary filmmaking in the last, like, you know, we'll call it 15 years has really progressed. Well, you've had the bar raised by so many people, yeah. and that's why you have successful narrative filmmakers going in, like... Ron Howard, mm -hmm. and in this case, Antoine Fuca. And this is just a remarkable, wonderful film. We highly recommend it. It's on DVD now from Warner Archive. What's My Name, Muhammad Ali. Now we want to let you know about some films that are back in print on DVD and a cartoon collection that's back in print on Blu-ray. We'll talk about the movies on DVD first. We have Batan from 1943 with Robert Taylor, a great World War II movie. The Bad and the Beautiful from 1952 which we just released on Blu-ray a few months ago. This is the DVD back in print with Kirk Douglas and Lon Turner. Trouble Along the Way from 1953 with John Wayne and Donna Reed. 
an uncharacteristic John Wayne movie. It's not a Western. It's a family kind of comedy. A Catholic comedy. It's very, very entertaining. Then a very different portrayal of Billy the Kid as Paul Newman stars in The Left-Handed Gun from 1958, directed by Arthur Penn. One of the great Westerns of all time, an early work by Sam Peckinpah, which we've also had the pleasure to bring to Blu-ray for the first time. Back in print on DVD, Ride the High Country with Western legends Randolph Scott and Joel McRae. 1964's The Incredible Mr. Limpet, starring the incredible Don Knotts. Some would call this the greatest comedy of all time. Oh, I I know several people who have said that. I love this movie. I loved this movie as a kid. I love it as an adult. Carol Cook and Jack Weston provide wonderful support and there's even animation from the great Frizz Frilling. It's one of the earlier unique examples of live action and animation in a film and I don't think live action and animation was ever quite put together in this way. No, this was like Uh, more It's a unique structure. And paved the way for like Roger Rabbit. It was not a huge box office blockbuster when it came out. But it but ruled it, television. Yeah, it was It on. was successful, and then, of course, it grew in reputation as generations grew up with it on television and video cassette and so forth and so on. DVD, now back in print. From 1972, we have Up the Sandbox, which was Barbra Streisand's first contribution to the first artist's company, which she had formed with Steve McQueen and Paul Newman and Sidney Poitier and Dustin Hoffman as a way for creative artists to make their own films that would initially be distributed by National General. National General ended up being purchased by Warner Brothers. This film came out right on the cusp before the first artist's product ended up going to Warner Brothers. So it was originally released by National General, came out through Warner Brothers, later on home video and so forth and so on. This is not your typical Barbra Streisand movie, and she was trying to do something feminist and something different. And radical in comedy. That's right. It's it's a wonderful Walter Mitty-esque story that is, is very... If you haven't seen this and you're a fan of comedy, this is unexpected. And back in print is the most important thing. Now, another film that is in print on Blu-ray but has gone out of print on DVD, we've changed that, is Clint Eastwood in The Gauntlet from 1977. A big box office hit of that year, and it hasn't been available for a while, and now is available on DVD. Then we have the long-awaited, 33-year-later sequel (laughs) to National Velvet, (laughs) International Velvet, starring Tatum O'Neill, hot on her stardom from Paper Moon and the Bad News Bears. Tatum O'Neill was in International Velvet and she's basically related to the character of uh, Velvet Brown that Elizabeth Taylor played. They had announced that Elizabeth Taylor was going to play the really? grown-up role wow. in this oh. film, but played by an actress by the name of Nanette Newman. Right. And uh, the film was a, a modest success, but now is back in print on DVD. You can see for yourself. It's, for horse girls It's a horse everywhere. movie. And if you like oh. actors who have incredible speaking voices, this has both Anthony Hopkins and Christopher Plummer. Oh, it sure does. So, so if it just had a really young Jeremy Irons it would be a trifecta. And then speaking of uh, important actors, we've got two Oscar-winning superstars joining in 
The Formula from 1980. Marlon Brando and George C. Scott share star billing in this film directed by John G. Avildsen, who had directed Rocky. And that rounds up our titles that are back in print on DVD. We also have a Blu-ray animation collection that is back in print. This is the Tom and Jerry Golden Collection, Volume 1. It's been out of print on Blu-ray for several years. We're bringing it back in print. We want to emphasize that this is the disc that was released several years ago. These are not new masters of the cartoons from the year 2020. These are the masters that were created in the last decade for the Blu-ray collection that went for a lot of money, went out of print, and used copies were going for a fortune. We decided to bring it back in print using the existing disc images. So there's no difference between this Blu-ray release and the Blu-ray release of the Tom and Jerry Golden Collection Volume 1 that was released to retail stores, remember them, several years ago. We're just making it available at a very affordable price. It contains the first 37 Tom and Jerry cartoons, starting with Puss Gets the Boot, when Tom was known as Jasper. And it was supposed to be a one-shot cartoon, and of course the exhibitor said we want more, and it led to a series of great cartoons from the creative minds of MGM animation employees, Bill Hanna and Joe Bar. And there are many joys to behold here. The cartoons are complete and uncut. And uh, the Blu-rays look terrific. And there's a lot of supplementary material. And we just wanted to be very, very clear that this does not represent any kind of new content that has been created. We're merely taking the content that was created before and has not been available for purchase for many years, make it available to those who weren't lucky enough to get it the first time at an affordable price so that we can clarify any ambiguity that may exist around this Blu-ray release. Tom and Jerry Golden Collection, Volume 1. It spans the years 1940 to 1947, and we hope that those of you who don't already have it will enjoy the opportunity to now own it. And if you want to own some really cool stuff, you need to go to the Warner Archive room on iTunes. The Warner Archive room on iTunes has hundreds and hundreds of films, television programs, animated programs that you can download digitally either as a purchase or on a rental basis. And it spans decades and decades of classic entertainment from our library. And the assortment of films available in the Warner Archive room on iTunes is constantly expanding. Very often films go on sale. I bought one just this week so oh. I could see The Merry Widow in High Definition, the 1934 version, the Ernst Lubitsch version. Good choice. So I did my shopping there and I recommend you do the same. You go to iTunes.com backslash Warner Archive or go to the iTunes movie store and click on classics and scroll down and look for the Warner Archive swoosh at the bottom of the screen and that'll take you into the room. And you will also find more than 400 podcasts with the three of us to talk about all things Warner Archive. So if you ever missed any of our podcasts, that's where to find them. Hundreds of hours of fun. And one of the things we really, really appreciate is when we get a letter from you, the consumer, preferably by mail, where you can put a stamp on an envelope and put it in a mailbox and send it to us and we'll answer your questions. And if you want to send us a letter, Matthew, where should the letters be sent? Warner Archive Podcast 
3400 Riverside Drive, B160-4, Burbank, California, 91522. Now, I also want to mention that we really want to hear from you so much that we've expanded. Our initial stance on correspondence was that you had to send us a letter. There is a benefit to that because if you send us a self-addressed stamped envelope inside the letter, Dan may send you some swag. Could be a disc, uh, could however, be a movie poster, you, you do, could be a patch. You don't know until you write in. And, and you get to hear the sound effect of a letter being opened. That's if, true too. if people contact us via our robust Facebook page or contact us on Twitter, we will respond to serious inquiries on occasion as well. And we have a letter from Twitter that Matt is going to share. And I guess the less restrictive word count or character count must make letter writing possible well, on Twitter now. As, as I would say, this came through direct message. So oh, that's, okay. that's the better way to send it because it's like a letter. That doesn't mean that you get prioritized, but this letter was so nice because we just got it a few days ago all the way from England. Boy, the speed of light just, it, it slowed down a little bit on the way here. Dear Warner Archive, I hope you are all well and this message finds you in good spirits. I'm sorry for bothering you. But just had to drop you a line and say how much I enjoyed the latest podcast. Oh, pshaw. This would have been last month's. It almost seemed like a good 50% of the content was aimed at us Brits. Hip, hip, hooray. Not only did you all mention soccer with Escape to Victory, but you had a letter from this side of the pond talking about Excalibur and the Arthurian legend. Escape to Victory by the way, was the film that all soccer mad boys watched religiously over here, me included. You can even buy the replica football kit from the movie, and fans of the film would nod knowingly or grin at each other if you see someone wearing it. Wait, there's Escape to Victory cosplay in England? Yeah, apparently for years. There's wow. Escape to Victory cosplay at Comic-Con. You just don't see it. It's in the <laughs> yeah. British It's in the British part of the convention. You're not in the know. Yeah. That's like that's like the secret is that like you'd have to know what the team uniform looked like. Then he goes on to say, "I'm so pleased you're releasing it. I remember the UK VHS Pan and Scan release from the 80s. The sound alone was truly terrible." Can't wait to see it again on Blu-ray. Also, I am so jealous that Matt has seen Pele play live. <laughs> oh, my word. I'm a massive soccer fan, and that was an incredible thing to hear on the podcast. Wow, that floored me. Finally, please see my attached photos of my copies of Excalibur on Laserdisc and Blu-ray. It's great to know there are other big fans of this film in the UK. I had no idea the history of the soundtrack, so I appreciate the correspondent writing and learning about it. You learn something new every day. Anyway, I'll let you go. Sorry for waffling on. Thanks again. Best wishes, Gray. Thank you, Gray. Well, we appreciate that. And again, it's really, really important to us that you know here's we're his, here to listen. Here's his photo. I'm very impressed. Like he really even he set likes it up. Excalibur. Clearly. Yeah. You know, you can't go wrong with the beautiful laser disc the, artwork. The laser disc artwork is amazing. Because that was the great thing about laser discs. They cost a fortune to make and they cost a fortune to buy, but the benefit was you've got this gorgeous 
packaging. Oh, yeah. And if a movie was over two hours long, you got a gatefold package if the company was thinking clearly who was making the disc. The quality, now we look at them and we go, ooh. But at the time, it was like the thing. Oh, well, but I mean... The, it was the, substantially better than VHS or beta. And, and the packaging, as you said, was the thing because you just, you know, like an album, which, you know, LPs are still popular to collect because you get this, it's almost like a, now you'd think of it as a poster, just giant. And when you said the gatefold, especially, and it provided reading material. A lot, a lot of, of them fun. had really good liner notes. The people who liked vinyl that loved reading the back of an album package yeah. over and over again. Yeah. People had the same feeling about Laserdisc. So happily, many, many Laserdisc fans and collectors are among our Warner Archive customers yes. who appreciate the work that goes into our Blu-rays. And the niche market that was the Laserdisc business is equivalent to what the Blu-ray market has become yeah. for catalog titles. And that's why Warner Archive exists to bring you all sorts of unique rarities from our catalog with an emphasis on the Blu-ray. And we have some incredible surprises in store for you. 2020 is off to a bang thanks to Tex Avery and Dodsworth and so many other things, but wait till you see what we've got coming. It's going to be uh, quite exciting for most people, even the monkey who chooses what we release. Oh. Chimp! It's a chimp! How it's many a times? monkey it's that a throws chimp. darts, not a chimp. It's a chimp! Well, well, you know, we should It's ask. a floor wax and a dessert <laughs> topping. We'll have to ask HR what it prefers to be called. Okay, that's right. We don't want to be politically incorrect. Yeah, yeah. And on that note, I want to end this podcast with great thanks for your listening. And until next time, I'm George Feltenstein. I'm Matt Patterson. Love has got to stop someplace short of suicide. Thanks for listening. Look forward to the next Warner Archive podcast.